0: So it was kind of a surprise to me when, uh, after my message on, on discipleship, Pastor Mario was just like, hey, that's amazing. This is my Italian accent. Hopefully it doesn't offend anyone. But I wanted to speak on discipleship as well. <laughs> he'll, uh, <clears throat> he'll beat me for that later. Uh, but it was uh, it was so awesome that uh, that this was something that the Lord put on both of our hearts, and so um, as I'm sure you've been following along, you know, uh, uh, Pastor Mario started and talked about uh, understanding the time with which that we live in, and knowing uh, knowing the context that we find ourselves in, and how that is so crucial to being able to speak and and to and to. Uh, impact the culture around us, but more importantly, how also to maintain ourselves. And then the, the, the message on, on uh, lessons from captivity and, and, and the, the story of Daniel, and you, you, you see such an amazing uh, picture of, of a lot of this, the kind of things that we deal with in this day and age as well, and the lessons we can glean from, from understanding and studying the life of Daniel and the way in which that he served, that he served God. And last week, talking about how it is the life of Christ in us that we need to hold on to and that we need to be studying and that we need to be uh, modeling ourselves after. And, and, and if we can do this, then, then we have the building blocks of being able to lead and encourage others to do likewise. So this week, I'd like to continue on that theme of, of what it means to be transformed by what Jesus has done for us. And the passage we're going to look at today is found in Romans chapter 12. So if, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn there? Uh, I have a bad habit. Well, I have several bad habits. But one of my bad habits is that I, um, I, I, I'm kind of a creature of habit, and so when I figure out the best way to get from A to B, especially driving or something, you know, especially considering uh, traffic. And in Montreal, this is very difficult to try and figure out because routes change on a regular basis. But once I've got my route figured out, I take it without fail. Essentially, I actually I turn my brain off. And I just drive. I don't got to think about nothing. I can just go. And this becomes a bad habit. It becomes a problem when I'm actually not going to where I think I'm going because I get so used to, I get so uh, familiar with a route that when I get on that route, I go to that destination. So, for instance, we, my family, we used to live in the West Island. And and, and there was a route that I would take to church uh, coming down St. Charles and go on the 40 and get on the 40 onto the decay and you go and and that was the way that I went to church every day and it was the way that I went home. And I would find myself at church when we were supposed to be going somewhere because I would get onto the 40 and I would just start going and and Sharon, she would say, where are you going? I'm going to church. Oh no, we're not going to church. As I was so familiar with the route and it, it, it started to form and shape me that actually once I got onto that route, I would start to act in a way that I had developed. I'm sure that you've got habits as well. So we look at this passage. It's one that's very well known, and especially these first two verses, they're significant ones, and they're ones that are often uh, uh, quoted, and and they're ones that we talk about in church. Uh, But today, as as we look at these words, I, I want to... I don't know how to give more weight to the Word of God, but if I could, I would do that. The first two verses in chapter 12 of Romans say this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We, we read those passages, and, and I'm sure we've, we've heard them often enough, and, and it seems very straightforward what it's talking about. I, uh, I got to tell you, and I told you before, uh, so my sons, they're playing football right now, and I get to coach, and I love it, okay? The, uh, it's, it's not as good as playing, um, but even every once in a while in practice, you know, this, this last week I, I straight-armed a kid, and it felt fantastic, now, I still got, I, I may not as be as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. I think that's how the country song goes. See, football, one of the interesting things about football is that it's 90% mental. For as physical as a game that it is, it's 90% mental because you need to be mentally preparing yourself on a regular basis that when you're in a situation, your reaction is without thought. And that, that reaction, the capacity to be able to do that That in a moment that you can just like do what you're supposed to do, the route, the role, the function. It requires forethought and a lot of forethought. And when I read these passages, this is what I think about. Is that the life of a Christian is like 99% mental. And maybe maybe that's a wrong way of saying it. Because it puts so much onus on us. It's probably 99.999999% spiritual, and that we need the Holy Spirit and we need God. But whatever part of it is ours that God empowers us to do is to mentally put ourselves and form ourselves around what he has done for us. And and, and I'll show you what I mean by that. And we see it in these verses. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's interesting that he says appeal. You know, that word appeal is, is, to, is, to, is to say like, I, I, I want you to. It's a recognition. I can't force you to, but it's my desire for you. It is my hope for you. I, I need you to do this as my love for you within me cannot be contained, and, and if you don't do it, I have sorrow. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, And what are the mercies of God if else they are what we have been forgiven for? That mercy, the way that it functions, is that we deserve damnation. We deserve the consequences of our sins. And it is mercy from God that we have avoided that in the blood of Christ. So his appeal then is on the basis of what God has done for us. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice Again, like as a football guy, I read this, and I, I get that, because on the field, when, when you are, are doing a play, you've got to sacrifice yourself. you got to throw yourself in the way of oncoming defenders, and, and you know what? You get hurt. My son, uh, James, on Saturday, he was playing, and uh, there was this huge kid on the other team, and then now, James, don't, don't get me wrong, James is not a small kid either, but uh, he's kind of a gentle giant. And, and he's going and he's been getting into the, 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 this other player's face. He hasn't been letting him. And this other player just railroaded him and knocked him over. Now, James still did his job. Made me very proud. But he, he realized that there's some sacrifice involved if he's going to do his job. That he has to put his body in the way and, and suffer the consequences of that choice so that the goal can be achieved, that the that the, the momentum of the team can be pushed forward, and that he's a small part of a greater thing. And so when I see this passage, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, it makes sense to me. Except You know the parallels between being a community of God, being being disciples of Jesus and football, they're not hopefully they're not as physical as maybe football might be. Maybe they are. And that word living sacrifice, it's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Because don't you kill sacrifices? How can a sacrifice be living? In Galatians Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so then to be a living sacrifice is to be the embodiment of Jesus Christ. And that as I live, as I am here before you, it is not me here before you in the power and strength of my own life, but hopefully that I stand here before you in the power and strength of the life that is in me that is Jesus. So when we see this passage, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, there's, there's, in my mind, this sense of, of physical presence. There's this sense of commitment. But there's this realization and understanding that it's actually not me, but he that is in me. And I need to present myself. I, I, like Jesus goes with me. This is a confounding thing. Who am I that Jesus would choose to, to walk with me, to, to fill me? And yet he has. And, and, and at times it seems as though he would limit himself to what I would do to what I would present myself to. Paul says, I appeal to you, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, and the only thing that has made them holy and acceptable is what Jesus has done for us. And then he says something really weird. He says, which is your spiritual worship? What, I thought worship was singing. I have a very kind of like I think about my definition of worship and I think about it like like maple syrup. Okay? I'm, I'm from out west, and one of the things I love about living in the east is kibana It's delicious. And 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 my favorite part about kibanasuk is going into the like the little boiling place where they got the 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 strip of ice and they pour out that, that sweetness. And it, and it congeals on the snow on your little stick, and you just, oh, I can eat like 11 of those. They're amazing. <laughs> My understanding of worship is kind of like that, that when you take it and you boil it down, you take all this liquid, all these things that we do, but when we boil it down, the sweetness that, 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 that is so good is just simply to recognize God for who he is. That's worship. And I can do that painting, I can do that in drama, I can do that in singing, I can do that in preaching, I can do that in playing soccer, I can do that in fishing. Look, worship becomes an amazing thing if I know that, uh, who I'm worshiping. It's not a limiting thing, it's a freeing thing. As we present our bodies as living sacrifice, this is our spiritual worship. As we recognize what it is that God has done in us, this is our spiritual worship. Uh, there's this one little word in this first verse that is so significant because, I don't know about you, me, when I read the Bible, I always take this I, me kind of approach to it, that, that I'm alone in this. But, but Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, brothers, and sisters, this is not an exclusive term. The, the, the Greek, the way that it's used, is inclusive of everyone. That the community, you, all of you, I appeal to you as a body. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And we'll see this, this idea of a community come out more as we look at the rest of this chapter. Second verse, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I can't tell you how many youth groups have this as their, like, verse. Because it, it sounds so awesome. It's like, like we're going to be the light in the darkness. And, and, and I believe that's what it's saying. But, but the implications, I think, are significant. That that Paul needs to remind us to not be conformed suggests that if we do nothing, we will be conformed to this world. That if we don't resist what is going on around us, we will fall to it. If you don't stand for something, you fall for everything, right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So the resistance that, that, that Paul is saying we need to do is, is, is not like a physical, it's not a football thing where it's just like, come at me, world. I'm not going to conform to you. But it's the renewal of your mind. It's a mental process. And that mental process takes us back to, chap, to verse 1 where we consider that we are a living sacrifice. When we consider that there is a cross that has been filled for us. And as we put our minds on that, we are renewed. We resist. And we are no longer being conformed to the world around us, but that the kingdom of God is being shaped and formed through us because we have presented ourselves and he that is in us. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. As a a youth pastor, as someone who's worked with young people and young adults, one of the biggest questions and most frequent questions I get is, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. You know, I ask God and pray about it. And you know, I I don't know about you, but most conversations I've had with a lot of people, no matter what your age is, is they're just trying to figure out, I I just want to know what God wants me to do with my life. But there's something about this process of, of being indwelt by the Holy God as we present ourselves to his will that we find out what that will is. There's a, have you ever tried to turn something big? Turning things is not easy and in a way to make it a little bit easier is if you, is if you start moving it. And something that's moving is much easier to turn. I think so often we're crippled and, and, and uh, we limit ourselves that we need to know God's whole plan. If I, God, tell me what you want me to do. Let me know all the steps from A to Z. And if I know those, well, then I'll start. But we, but we don't actually need to know all those things to start doing what God wants us to do. That's right. Amen. We know that A he's loved me and died for me and he lives within me. So B means I need to just present myself. That you are not where you are by accident. You're not a surprise to God. He's like, oh, I didn't realize I left you there. What have you been doing hiding under that? God knows exactly where you are and it's not an accident. And so we can take this and understand it. We can, we can remind ourselves of it. <coughs> Excuse me. That God is good. Sister read that this morning, for I know the plans that I have for you. He's got great plans for you. Now have you presented yourself? Are, are you being renewed in what he has done for you? Testing the will of God is is a significant thing, and I can't imagine... I can't conceive of the amount of churches and, and communities that have been torn apart as they've tried to discern what God is calling them to do. And so quickly, I just want to say that, like, we need to be testing on the basis of Scripture. That, that in, Paul tells his, his very good disciple, Timothy, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be become, complete and equipped for every good work. But I want to maybe suggest to you that, that finding out the will of God has something to do with understanding that he is sovereign and that he is in control and that thankfully there is nothing so terrible and so awful that I can do to derail him. And so when we look at the the. the parable of the talents. We see these three servants, and and one is given some, and one is given a little less, and one is given just a bit. And the first two, they take what they have been given, and they take, and they use it, and they invest it in a way that's consistent with what their master wishes. The master doesn't tell them what to do. He just gives it to them, and they understand, we know who you are, master. We know what you have done, and so we will work with consistency to that understanding. And yet the last servant, he's fearful, and and says, well, I'll just, I, I, what if I lose it? How mad will my master be if I, if, I don't, if I don't have it to give back to him? And so he goes and buries it. Well, we know in that, that parable that that was a foolish thing to do. That if it's understood that the master is someone who reaps where he does not sow, then then why wouldn't you work similarly? Following Jesus is the riskiest thing you can do in your life and it's at the same time the safest thing. Do you have adventure in your life? Are you excited to wake up in the morning? Are you excited to go to work because you know you get to go and worship God there? You know there's this other way in which that we can test things and it's an amazing thing. I may have a relationship with God, but I'm not the only one and so I can I can confirm what I feel like God is saying to me with people around me who also know God. That that there's actually this intention for me to not be alone. In fact, it's it's more than just an intention for not for me to not be alone, but actually God's desire, his will and his plan that I would have fellowship. Fellowship with himself and those who know him. Now, this is an amazing thing. I was listening to a message, and, and you look at uh, um, Mary, who, who hears that, that God is now incarnate within her, that she's going to have a baby, and all the pain and suffering that's going to bring this young girl who is unmarried. She doesn't believe it. Say, what, angel? No. That's crazy. It's not until her, her, is it her cousin? I don't know, it is her cousin. <laughs> She's like, who let this guy up here? <laughs> it's not until her cousin recognizes in her, far be it from me, a servant to be, your, my Lord has been revealed to me. It's not until her cousin sees and understands that within her is the light of the world, is a savior, that Mary goes, oh, this is a thing. That it's in community that this revelation has come full circle inside of her and she owns it and she takes it and it starts to form and shape who she is. That God intends us to understand these things in community. There are no lone Christians. We all have a role to play. So what's yours? Uh, In this passage, um, verses 6 to 8, it has this little list. There's gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. It's interesting that that this idea of grace kind of keeps popping up as we go along. How is it that that we do the giftings, we do the things according to the grace that has been given to us? God made you to be who you are. One of the uh, the descriptions of of my spiritual giftedness is obnoxious wisdom. Wisdom. There's a lot of people who have just like, yeah, you know what, I think that's right. So I I have to live with that. And it's by grace that I've been given this. And I console myself with knowing it's actually what God has given all of you in me and through me. But how has God made you? One of the pieces of advice that I give those young people who ask me, well, I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. is say, well, what has he made you to care about? What has he made you good at? Well, you know what? I'm, I'm really good at playing guitar. Well, maybe you should be a youth pastor. Maybe not. I'm kidding. That's, that's a joke. But God's not trying to hide his will from you. It's not some secret. You have within you everything that, that you already need to accomplish what he wants you to do. It has more to do with this idea of, of coming back to this place where we recognize who He is, that we allow our minds to be formed around the cross. And that as we do this, something happens within us where we are formed, transformed, and, and we have an impact, an influence in the lives of people around us, in the world around us. And, and, and when we do it together, it's multiplied. When we do it together, it is multiplied. And it's why the enemy does everything to keep us from being together. I look at these these six kind of roles, and and it might be really easy to be like, well, you know what? I'm definitely someone who has prophecy. Not many people are just like, well, I'm an exhorter, because they're just like, I don't know what that means. It means to encourage. A couple of those, uh, the teaching and the exhorting and the serving, it's kind of interesting it, the way that Paul describes them. He just says, if, if service in serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation. There's something about these giftings I think that's kind of the difficulty within them is apparent. And if you don't, if you don't agree with me, then you need to try teaching Sunday school. Because it's hard. You need to try encouraging people. It is difficult. You need to try serving people. It's often not fun. A good place to start, I hear, is in bathrooms. You look at some of these other ones, these, these spiritual gifts, right? Those other ones, those are just regular ones. Anyone can do those ones. But the prophecy the, the contributing in, in generosity and, and doing acts of mercy. There's this, there's this attitude that's added to it. Leading with zeal. I think that God is, God is less concerned with what we do and more concerned with how we do it. And the reason I say that is because God doesn't need you. He doesn't. He doesn't need me. But one of the things that I'm working on is, is, is trying to plant a church. And one of the first things I came to realize is God doesn't need me to plant a church. But he wants me. Just like he wants you. That he doesn't want to do this thing alone. Because he has His plan where he brings his people together. And that he transforms and shapes his creation through them. So we look at this next section. And, and you know, like when I look at chapter 12 of Romans, it's often the section that least gets read because we get so caught up in that first couple of verses because they're so impactful and so, there's just there's so much there to really consider. And you know what? The, the next few verses, they make a great kind of like list of proof uh, as you talk about spiritual gifts and, and, and where to find them in the Bible. But that last section, verses 9 to 21, I don't know, I, I always kind of try and read it fast. Because the slower I read it, the more I got to think about how my life matches it. Or the, the discrepancy between the description I find in those verses and what I see in my everyday so it begins in verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. The word love there is the word agape in the Greek. Is the God love of sacrifice. Let love be genuine. If you're going to present yourself as a living sacrifice, that you would be holy and acceptable before the Lord, it needs to be genuine. And if it isn't, People will know. Because if you don't have the love of Christ in you, if the fruit of the Spirit is not coming out of you, people will know. And the only person you are fooling is yourself. One of the hardest things about working with youth is being genuine, is understanding and accepting the fact that I'm not that cool but I want them to know that I love them and I want them to be able to, to put up with me long enough that they'll hear and know the heart that I have for them. And so then how do I deal with the fact that like, well, I'm not cool, but I, I, I love you. Well, I gotta be genuine. And kids, young people, they know when you're not. They know when you don't care. I have seen 75-year-old youth pastors who can just, shape and form young people like nobody else because they care. They're genuine. (laughs) Here's an awkward question. How genuine was our greeting today? How genuine were you when you said, oh, I'm doing great? How genuine were you when you asked, how are you doing? Genuine love, that agape love, it is difficult and hard and and is not something I can do. But I'm not me. I'm a living sacrifice. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. We live in a world that is depraved, that is broken. What is evil? I was thinking about this. Abortion, pornography, greed, racism, slavery. These things are evil, yes? These things are evil, I think, and the the thing that kind of, the, 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 the thought that runs through them all is they are dehumanizing, that they violate the image and will of God. That is evil. We need to run from those things, abhor, hold them off, to have nothing to do with them. I think about the video games that I play or the books that I read or the TV that I watch, the jokes that I make. How good am I at abhorring evil? Hold fast to what is good. Uh, One of my favorite psalms is is, is Psalm 37. It's it's one that's brought me much comfort. And and if you are in need of comfort, I I encourage you to, to read the psalms. But in Psalm verse 3, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. There's a lot of good in this world. There are good people. People who I can see eye to eye on, on many things. People who care about family, who care about beauty, who care about this earth. People who care about fellowship and care about marriage. I want to hold fast to these things in the church. I want to give an example of what these things are in the church for this world, but, but it's out there and I want, to, I want to partner with people who have these kinds of beliefs because I want to show them how to really do it. Because marriage outside of being a living sacrifice is only a shadow. That fellowship outside of being a sacrifice is, is, is merely a, 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 an illusion. An illusion. But if I don't have these alliances, if I haven't befriended faithfulness in the place that I am, if I don't have any non-Christian friends who I care about and who I'm loving, how how can they hear the gospel? Paul goes on, he says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, now this word love is, is this idea of familial love and, and, and it's a hard verse for me because like me and my brothers are weird. We love each other in weird ways and, and I'm just sorry, that's the way I understand it and if I love you, you're gonna be like, what just happened? I probably loved you, okay? We show our love for one another by making absolute uh, eviscerating fun of one another. So, you know, youth, Know that when I'm bugging you and, and giving you a hard time, it's, it's, it is actually because I love you. And the people I have the hardest time to love, I'm the most polite. <laughs> <laughs> Outdo one another in showing honor. This idea of showing honor is not this, this like, well, look at Pastor Mario. He's an amazing pastor. How good is he? He's great. He's fantastic. Have you seen his haircut? That's not honoring per se, that this idea of honoring is actually one of just like putting others first. You're opening the door for someone else. I honor you in allowing you to go. Let me serve you. Let me help you. Let me love you. Let me be with you. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Just like to announce another uh, cleaning weekend at the church. Yay. What's your zeal like? What's your zeal like? I think this, for me, working in a church is probably one of the hardest things. It just seems like no one else cares, and when I make that my focus, I begin to conform myself to this world around me. But I have to think about the zeal with which Jesus went to the cross for me. And as I think about what he has done, I am reshaped and I have zeal. And I can go back into that same space with excitement because of what God is doing. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. That those who serve, you don't serve the people around you, but that actually you serve God. And that's not just something that's in the church, that when we serve people outside of the church, we are serving as though we are serving the Lord. Is, is God happy with your service? Because you know, there is a way of serving God. There is a way of being and appearing holy where Jesus on that day, when you stand before him, you will be like, Lord, I cast out demons in your name. I prophesied in your name. And he's like, I, I never knew you. Get away from me. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. We have something to rejoice in. Are we hope as we hold on to the idea of of being able to live eternally with God? Is it something that gives us strength? Is it something that we can hold on to through that moment or maybe it's longer than a moment of tribulation? Be constant in prayer. I, was, I, I really enjoy uh, Oswald Chambers' uh, My Utmost for His Highest, and I was reading it uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and, and he said that, you know what, prayer is not a list of things that we go to God with. What prayer really is, is presenting ourselves before God as a living sacrifice, allowing our minds to be renewed in him and being transformed by that. That's what prayer is. So this idea of constant prayer I want to suggest to you is not just like, oh God, help me with like this difficult person or, or God, I don't know if I can do that or, or God, I'm not sure what I'm going to do next. But, but it's more about just knowing, I don't know where I'm at, Jesus, but I know you know where I'm at. I know that you are with me. I know the, the extent, as far as I can understand the extent that you have closed the distance between us, I can now take that understanding and apply it to my own life and those around me. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. If our wealth is in Jesus, then our money has a specific calling. Tithe is not this recognition that, that, that like, well, the the building needs to stay open, the lights need to be paid for, and, and these things need to keep moving forward. And don't get me wrong, I understand that I'm very thankful for uh, my, my part in what I receive from, from working in a church, but tithe is a recognition that none of what we have is ours. We've already received everything we need, and that actually money become, can become this deterrent that if I'm so closed around what I'm trying to gain, that, I, that my hands are not able to receive what God has for me. And then there's this last few verses. And it kind of starts in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Father, they know not what they do. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And we need to be present. We need to be wise and we need to be connected. Emotions are from God. That does not excuse emotionalism. But just like all of God's gifts can be hijacked from his intended purpose, let's not throw the baby with the bathwater that when people are suffering, we can suffer with them. When people have joy, we, we can have joy with them. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This is easy for me, because I am like the most humble person ever. This idea of living in harmony with everyone, it begins with Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, it says that he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that when I am out of harmony with someone here within the body of believers, that the first thing I need to do is get back into harmony with Jesus. And when I have done that, I am now in a space and place to be able to be in harmony with them. And maybe I need to give them time and space to figure out that they are out of harmony with Christ as well, and to pray for them, and to seek that reconciliation. How can I associate with the lowly? They're gross, they're icky, they're annoying, they're frustrating. Well, thank you that Jesus didn't feel the same because he, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, lowering himself to the point of being a human, a servant, a babe, humbling himself even to the place of death and death on a cross. And then it says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I find in these closing verses, this this sense of football that I really enjoy. This idea of standing in the gap. That as Jesus accepted the sins of the world on himself so that he might overcome it, that he has called us to do the same thing. And, and God has given us this great place to practice this in. It's called the church. That we need to begin with loving one another. That when, when people step on our toes, that we give them a hug when people push us down and frustrate us and don't listen to us, that we listen to them, that we lift them up and that we encourage them. Because in this, a couple things are going to happen. First off, you're going to find out what it is that God wants you to do. Second, you're going to come to a realization and an understanding of what Jesus has done for you that you have not yet reached. And lastly... You are going to see the faithfulness of God as he changes the hearts of people around you. And that is an amazing thing. That is an amazing thing. To see God work in people. It's the best part about being a pastor. It's the best part about being a part of church. So whose heart have you watched changed by the Lord lead? What's preventing that? Is it you? Well, let me tell you where to start. It starts with verse one. I appeal to you. I want for you so badly, brothers and sisters, that by the love and mercy that God has shown us in his grace, that you need to present yourselves a living sacrifice, Christ in you, holy and acceptable now by his work, That this is your worship, your spiritual worship. By doing this, you will not be conformed to the world around you. But you will be transformed, the renewing of your mind as you focus on him. And that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that while we were yet sinners that you showed your love for us and that Jesus died on a cross. Help us to build our life on this truth and that it is just who you are and it is now who we are as well. So God, help us. We're broken. We're unable. But we know you are good. Give us strength to trust you. Give us wisdom and discernment, Lord. And give us an overwhelming sense of your love for us, but for those around us. We know that you can accomplish these things, and so we leave it to you, Lord. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.